This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hi, I'm Anif Baharuddin and this is Gigi Well Played, BFM's video game show. We will be running up some of the biggest news and releases from the month of November with Jonathan Leo from kakuchopore.com. We're going to start the coverage by looking at the nominees for the upcoming Game Awards show happening on the 9th of December, Malaysian time. Yes, the Game Awards 2022 nominations have been announced and the list seems rather interesting to say the least. So let's get to the good part. So for Best Game of 2022, we've got Elden Ring, God of War Ragnarok, Horizon Forbidden West, Stray, A Plague Tale Requiem, and Xenoblade Chronicles 3. That last title, I'm actually kind of pleased because this game has been getting the chef for quite a while. So it's good to know that it's getting the recognition it deserves. So Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is also getting a GRPG and a soundtrack nomination, which is nice. So it's overall for the main best game of 2022, those are really good picks for that major category. Though I honestly feel that Horizon Forbidden West was chosen because, you know, there's one PlayStation game that's already nominated. How about one more? Because you're my cousin, you know, like a nepotism like that sense, <laughs> in a way. Now, having said that, some of the categories seem to be They sound a bit weird, personally, for me. Like, for best fighting games, one of them, one of the nominations happened to be, one of the nominated games happened to be Sifu, which is a PvE action game. It's not a fighting game where it's like one PvP, one versus one versus thing. Or that two voice actors from the same game are taking up two slots in the best voiceover category, which is uh, Christopher Judge and... The actor who's playing Atreus in God of War Ragnarok. And there's one of the content creator nominations. One of them is actually a guy who just reposts and curates existing news just really, really fast. Nibelion. I mean, no disrespect to the man or person or whatnot, but everyone else is creating like original content out of videos, you know, making videos of their own channel and whatnot. While this guy, as good as he is at his job, he's just reposting stuff. It's just news churning out and everything. But otherwise, we can expect a lot of great video game trailer reveals, world premieres, and the orchestra doing a 2022 music melody from the Jeff Keighley show. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fun as well to see this. I mean, how it pans out, right? Um, when can we actually watch this uh, It event? is on December 9th at 8.30am. I believe in Malaysia and other parts of the world, you can actually watch it at IMAX at select cinemas. I believe TGV is hosted announced something of that magnitude literally today. So if you want to watch it in like the best comfort seat IMAX place, just wait until they sell the tickets lah for that event itself, which is happening on the 9th of December. Let's move on to the other news that involves id Software and Mick Gordon. Uh, yes, yes. Mick Gordon, as you all know, is a very talented metal aficionado and composer for... Doom 2016, Doom Eternal, and my favorite fighting game, Killer Instinct, the reboot, the 2013 reboot. So, he has recently denied allegations made against him over Doom Eternal's soundtrack, claiming Bethesda offered him six figures to take the blame. So, two years after Doom Eternal, he published a lengthy response on Medium that counters Martin Stratton, who is the producer of Doom Eternal, and also the lead for its software, and that also alleged its software who failed to pay Mick Gordon for half the game's soundtrack. 
and also Stratton himself was an abusive presence that enforced Crunch and declined to work with Gordon on solutions to the game's development woes. So Gordon wrote, I've had many great experiences in the game industry. My quote-unquote collaboration with Marty Stratton wasn't one of them. He also added, I never quit Doom. I quit a toxic client. So id Software and Bethesda responded on Twitter. In a statement that's published online, Bethesda said Gordon's account of Doom Eternal's soundtrack development, quote-unquote, both mischaracterized and misrepresented the team at id Software, unquote. And that Bethesda, quote-unquote, unequivocally support Marty, Chad Mossholder, who's the audio designer, and the team at id Software. So Bethesda adds that it rejects the distortion of the truth and selective presentation of incomplete facts. So what do you make of this? Wow. Another day, another drama in the industry. Um, I I mean, at this point in time, I think I, I'm just a bit jaded. Not, not because I don't care, but I feel like um, it's kind of sad to see the industry having to go through, you know, this kind of news every other month, it seems. Huh? The lengthy correspondence from Mick Gordon's Medium post was actually there's enough proof there. While it's Software and Bethesda only just had that Twitter post. So it depends on who actually has the most to keep in terms of receipts and whatnot. So I'm going to, I mean, it's really sad, especially since Mick Gordon is a very talented composer and having to keep his mouth shut over something that he did not have to blame for because the Doom Eternal OST was actually... What's the word, huh? It was actually mishandled by the id Software, uh, the chat, the chat mouse holder guy. Mick Gordon had nothing to do with that OST. I mean, he was no, he was responsible for the soundtrack, but not for the, the you know the collector's CD version of it, which was actually in poor quality and everything. Mick Gordon would actually never ship anything like that, lah. So yeah, it, it's sad. It's sad. Pretty sad and pretty disappointing to yeah to see how messed up the games industry can be. <laughs> oh, we can uh, go one step further. <laughs> so, original Sonic programmer and ex Sega employee Yuji Naka was arrested under suspicion of insider trading, according to Japanese news site FNN that corroborated the story that's printed on the Asahi Shimbun newspaper. So, Yuji Naka is alleged to have bought stock in developer Aiming in early 2020. So Aiming is part of Square Enix, in a way, like a third-party company. So based on insider information that it would be developing a Dragon Quest mobile game called Dragon Quest Tact. At the time, before it was publicly announced, publisher Square Enix's partnership with Aiming on the game was not yet public. And Yuji Naka was working at Square Enix on Balan Wonderworld. And you know what happened to that game, right? (laughs) So the Special Investigations Unit of the Tokyo District Public Prosecutor's Office, which made the arrest, said that Naka had bought 10,000 shares in Aiming for about 20,000 USD or so after learning about Dragon Quest Tact in late January 2020. This was like before the announcement, which was on February. So the assumption is that he was hoping to profit from an increase in the share price after the announcement and release of the game, which he obviously bought beforehand. So... I mean, that's how insider trade, trading works now in that sense. You actually have insider information and it's not legal. So Yuji Naka's arrest followed those of two other ex-Square Enix employees. I think it was a couple of days prior, which were ex-employees Taisuke Suzaki and Fumiaki Suzuki, who bought, I believe, 47 million yen worth of aiming stock around 2019 and early 2020. I think this was before the pandemic. Yeah, before the pandemic. Hmm. 
Eugene Akar is quite interesting because I think he has been involved in other controversies involving uh, Square Enix as well right prior to this. Yes, yes. We said that he didn't have enough time to finish Balan Wonderworld and he tried to throw Square Enix under the bus to take the blame when in fact, there's a lot of things. Like, I mean, even in Sega himself, he wasn't really innocent. I mean, there was a time that Peter Moore, who was working with Sega at the time, I think he was trying to make... He's trying to tell the truth about how to promote Dreamcast better and then Yuji Naka just shut him off. And that's when Peter Moore just left the company like, and joined Xbox as a result. And I guess everyone knows what happened to Xbox. Like, they became big. Yeah, How serious is this for him? Well, if he's proven guilty, I believe insider trading crimes are like... It's not that long. Comp- I think it's about a couple of years, not compared to like other countries in... Also, in Japan, it's like, I won't say linear, but it's like five years or so. I'm not a lawyer, so this is just something I just read up online compared to like other countries where it's like 20 plus years. Okay. Um, moving on, we also have another big news involving uh, Square Enix Montreal. Oh, yes, yeah, since we brought up Square Enix. Wow, see, mm. we're hitting with the whole segues here. <laughs> so, Square Enix Montreal, which was briefly renamed Onoma, was closed less than three months after Embracer Group completed its acquisition. And because of this acquisition and closure, it's revealed that I believe Embracer Group, Idols Montreal, and a couple of others under the wing are working on uh, Deus Ex and the new Tomb Raider game. But nothing has been set in stone. Lah. These are just projects that are ongoing. And Volition, who is also under Embracer Group, is now under Gearbox Software following the underwhelming reception for of the new Saints Row, which came out a couple of months ago. I thought the game was enjoyable, but everyone else were not on the same camp. Lah. So I believe Gearbox said that they could actually, you know, use Volition to help out as a, what's the word, a support studio. So which could be like a pretty bad fate considering Volition is was a pretty... Sus- significant name back in the day when they made Red Faction and even the first Saints Row. So it's kind of sad that this has to happen, but Embracer himself, they spend a lot of money, they have to shuffle their money somehow, right? So Yeah, I guess this is part of their strategy to somehow take stock of their assets and I guess, you know, see which one will be will be able to benefit them a lot more, right? Yeah, at least the people in Square Enix Montreal, even though the company shut down, at least Onoma, they had people shuffle around in Idos Montreal and a couple of other companies under the Embracer group. So it's not really a bad thing. But again, you never know what's going to happen in the next few months or so, weeks. Mm, correct, yeah. From Square Enix Montreal, we move on to Xbox and Activision Blizzard and the buyout that's now possibly going to be investigated by the FTC, right? Possibly. This is actually just rumours and reports. Anything can happen. But this was actually stifled due to Sony... PlayStation presenting his argument to the UK government about how, especially when it since it involves Call of Duty. So Sony goes on about the importance of Call of Duty in their arguments and how owning it would allow Microsoft to raise hardware and service prices. Now, this is a bit funny coming from PlayStation and Sony because these are, these are the same guys who recently jacked up the price for the PlayStation 5 outside of the US and is also selling the PSVR 2 next year that isn't backwards compatible with previous PlayStation VR products. Mm, yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't Microsoft already clarify that they are still going to keep Call of Duty with PlayStation? 
They did, but PlayStation Sony, they're still basically trying to find arguments and trying to get this. It just seems like for ulterior motives, they just don't want the deal to happen, despite the fact that they're still getting money from Call of Duty via Xboxes or Microsoft's side. But again, there's probably a bigger picture thing that we're not seeing, but I could see that, again, this having big companies buying other bigger companies would be pretty... I guess you could see a monopoly, a monopoly could happen, but at the same time, this is just Sony in a sense because of the way they're kind of falling behind from the Xbox Game Pass and the titles that are all readily available on the Xbox Series and Xbox One and even on the Game Pass. So this is them just... I guess you could say, you know, when you have a dog, a rabbit dog cornered, they bark the loudest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But do you, think, do you think that this deal will possibly fall through? Um, considering that, I mean... Sony, I guess, uh, meddling into it is one thing, but um, yeah, there were arguments that uh, Monopoly is a bad thing and F- the FTC is already investigating them. I would say that this buyout will be delayed, but it's going to happen at the very least because Microsoft has been building up whatever co- stocks and money they have from all their apps and Microsoft Office and everything else that isn't video game related. Video game, anything that's related to video games on the Xbox brand is, you know, meant to, that's where the money is being spent in that sense. Whereas everything else that Microsoft is doing, all I'm saying is they can afford it. (laughs) If they can afford a few more months, I'm sure they can afford buying Activision Blizzard at a later date. But in terms of like optics or whatnot, they still need to also address the fact that Activision Blizzard has been the dirty company for the past few months. So I guess in order for them to be good in the public eye for optics sake, they need to do a lot of cleanup in Activision Blizzard. Like maybe kicking out the guy who runs Activision Blizzard, who is reportedly the guy who threatened to kill his secretary or whatnot. Like through an intercom or whatnot. And yeah, the guy who basically could not afford to, you know, have proper amenities for his workers in Blizzard and even Activision. And again, these people are opposed to unions, so make of that what you will. I mean, if they want to be taken seriously in this acquisition, they need to do a clean, lock clean up here and there. Hmm. And speaking of acquisition, another acquisition comes in the form of Thunderful Group acquiring Jumpship. Ah, uh, yes. So a bit of context. Jumpship is a indie company who recently spun out from Playdead. So Playdead are renowned for making Limbo and Inside, two very renowned adventure games in 2D form. So the jump ship itself, they just released a game called so- Somerville, which is about a dad, which we'll talk about later. It's about that in the Alien Invasion. It's a 2D and it's got the puzzles and the environmental storytelling. So the acquisition was done in an undisclosed amount. So Thunderful Group has been very, very busy as of late for the past year or so because they've been buying companies here and there they have um wow they've actually bought a couple of indie studios here and there especially the people who made uh, steam quests and a couple of others so they're they're a name to watch out in other words Mm, all right sounds exciting um another news that i think would be interesting to talk about is control 2 being announced by remedy yes that is a very that i think this will be the shortest piece of news um remedy (laughs) announced it and they're working on it, and then that's it. <laughs> but there's nothing yet, right? Uh, not, it's not even ready. I don't think they even have a trailer out. They're just... Remedy, Sam Lake, and the people under the company, they just basically announced that Control will have a sequel. And because, you know, we got the Ultimate Edition and Control coming out that came out a couple of years ago, so it's 
a no-brainer because it's very it's a highly acclaimed title back in the day. Like you mix Metroidvania with third-person shooting with the whole the the sci-fi X Files kind of root thing going on, the surf and protect thing. So it's pretty cool. I mean, did you enjoy your control back in the day? Oh, I have not played it yet, uh, but I've heard a lot of good things about it and definitely was looking forward to actually playing it. Um, but what I find quite interesting about the news is that um, the budget for this sequel is pretty big, right? If I'm mistaken, around like 50 million? Oh yeah, I think that's double from the first game, come and think of it. So it's pretty interesting to see how big they can go. Like, I believe maybe they shouldn't focus so much on Jesse because the story is more or less kind of sorted in control in the DLC. So maybe a different protagonist but in the same company that they're in, the same bureau, with the whole, you know, fighting against the different enemies, you got your different guns, which are shapes and whatnot, you got the shotgun and everything, and the the special Jedi powers that you get while you're in that universe. So, I like a new story, and a new character, a new protagonist, a new fresh pair of eyes, you know, like different perspective, in an ever-evolving bureau. Hmm, alright. And last but not least, uh, we have a bit of sad news. So, uh, very sad news. Kevin Conroy, the legendary voice for Batman, for the definitive Batman, has passed away at the age of 66. So, he's very significant, not just in the animated Batman show, Batman the Animated Series, New Adventures of Batman, Justice League, Batman Beyond as the older Bruce Wayne, but also in the Batman Arkham video game series, from Arkham Asylum to Arkham Knight. I mean, he has starred in a couple of shows here and there, like Murphy Brown, Cheers, and Matlock, but he will always be the definitive Batman voice. Correct. And if I'm not mistaken, he even landed his voice for the Batman character in Multiverses, right, recently? I believe so. That's him. And he also starred as a Bruce Wayne in, I believe, his Crisis on Infinite Earth, you know, the CW, DC live-action TV stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, another piece of sad news is from the east side. You've got Kiyoyuki Yanada who passed away and he was 57. So he was a well-known voice actor in Japan. He's well-known for playing Akagi in Slam Dunk. He played, he voiced Mike Hagar in the Japanese version of Marvel's Capcom. Richter Belmont in the Castlevania series. Jotaro Kujo in the Capcom fighting game uh, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure back in the late 90s. And a whole number more. So... This guy is definitely very, very prominent. Like, he lent his voice from the old cartoons in the 80s, 90s, up till now. So it's, again, really sad like, that the legend has passed away too. That was Jonathan Leo from KakuchoPori.com looking back at some of the biggest news in the gaming world last month. We're going to make way for some messages after this November releases, including God of War, Ragnarok, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, and many more. Stay tuned, this is GG Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, listening to Gigi Well Played, I'm your host Hanif Baharuddin. Jonathan Leo, content director at kakuchopore.com, joins me to round up the biggest news and releases from November. Let's talk about the games that were released last month and there's only one big game that's dominating the headlines and that's God of War and Rock. Take it away, John. So, God of War Ragnarok is the latest PlayStation 5 action adventure RPG that spans about 25 plus hours if you're just going for the story mode. It, it features the father-son combination of Kratos and Atreus as they continue the adventures from the 2018 God of War sequel. 
So generally, this set's place takes place in uh, Midgard and other different places which I cannot talk about for fear of spoilers. All I can tell you is, in the first few hours, the game may seem a bit familiar, but it changes up once the fourth, fifth hour passes through. You get different companions, you get different weapons. You, I think you get like a new weapon or so. You've got so many place, places to explore here and there, puzzles. The combat is still great and then got a few additions here and there. And the story itself, I think people are going to enjoy this game because of the story. And for those who are just tuning in and you have a PlayStation 5, you probably have bought the game right now. But for those who want to justify playing a PlayStation 5, God of War Ragnarok is the game, that's it. Like, it works fine on the PlayStation 4, but you hear like the jet motor running and the loading time is longer, of course. So. Yeah, you want to actually play God of War Ragnarok in like the best way possible. So until it comes out for PC in God knows when, probably two years time, your best place to play this game is on the PlayStation 5. And I would wholeheartedly champion this title because of how packed it is. I do wish there was a fast travel option, especially when you want to do post-story quests. But beyond that, the game's great. It's got great action, it's got a great story, you'll love the characters here and there, you'll love how the characters have evolved and progressed from the start of the, sh the game until now. And you've got challenging fights and puzzles here and there and just a lot of things. And also there's a bunch of PlayStation Easter eggs that pop up once in, once in a while, especially in a collectible puzzle form. Um, I'm playing it myself. Um, I, I guess to to keep it short, um, I'm quite curious to know because this game was nominated for game of the game of the year as well. Um, do you think that it can compete? Well, that's a tough one. I like both Elden Ring and God of War Ragnarok, but I believe these two titles will be neck to neck with each other if there's a voting tally behind the scenes. I mean, it'll probably win either way. Either way, I'm happy. I'm also just happy that Xenoblade Chronicles Three is nominated. So. I'm just happy that way. But yeah, I mean, either game will go either way. It's great. And plus, God of War Ragnarok has the most nominations. So even if it does not win Game of the Year, it will win the other categories. I will guarantee you that it will win the best voiceover because, you know, nobody can top Christopher Judge as Kratos. Especially that deep growling voice and the way he has deadpan humor and whatnot in the game itself. So it's pretty, it's pretty fun just to hear him talk bits here and there and, you know, being very, very Kratos-like, but, you know, not super violent like in the old God of War games. Right, okay, moving on. Uh, we also have other games. Uh, let's start with Harvestella. I'll keep that short too. So Harvestella is Square Enix's take on Harvest Moon, Story of Seasons, and Rune Factory. So you play an amnesiac who takes care of his own farmstead and you kind of have to help this nearby village from the quietening or quiet. Basically, there's a phenomena involving a meteorite and a red light. So you kind of have to fix that problem. And you do that by conquering dungeons and, you know, clearing up monsters within the area. So, But you also farm to actually gain stats and whatnot and build relationships. So it's not like super detailed of the farming. Think of it more like an action RPG with dungeoneering that involves a bit of farming. So if you don't want to play Rune Factory... Harvestella is a good replacement. Now, if you want to talk about pure farming, you've got Doraemon Story of Seasons, Friends of Great Kingdom, which is on PC, Nintendo Switch, and PS4. 
So you control Nobita and his group, Doraemon and whatnot, as you get teleported to a different planet, which features a lot of fantasy creatures running around. You basically have to take care of a farm that's being, you know, plotted by a, prin- a former prince, and you just have to make sure the land and till and everything grows to your liking and sell off the crops that you make. You also get to talk to different villagers and do a little bunch of quests here and there to progress the story. But really, this is the game where you just have to chillax. You don't have to actually spend, like, you know, you spend like more and more hours just planting seeds, crops, and grow your farmstead to sell off, you know, to sell the fruits and, you know, just, just, you know, have a peaceful life doing menial tasks here and there to make your farm be the best there is. So it's not Hmm. so much a game about fast progression, it's more like a game you relax and many of the game's improvements are centered around the controls and how you farm and you know the overall pleasantness pleasantness of the art style and the concept of farming in an alien planet mm. it does look good though actually and i have a friend who said that this 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 game is actually quite good oh yeah it is it is um this i i believe like it's not a true story season game but it's pretty close uh, so okay. if you like harvest moon you'll love doraemon story of season two yeah, especially if you also love Doraemon, right? The, the IP, yeah. Oh, the, yeah, yeah, the IP. The, I mean, it's adorable and all-ages thing. So it's a great game for your family or with your kids right. if you want to learn how to farm in a digital space in the alien planet. <laughs> so, yeah. So next game we're talking is Pentiment for PC and Xbox. It is a 16 to 20-hour adventure RPG set in 16th century Bavaria where you play an artist who has to solve a bunch of crimes, murders and underlying conspiracies that tie everything together. So the game's art style is like a 16th century tapestry illustration that moves and animates with, you know, font coming out from speech bubbles and text matching the period. So you've got a lot of cursives, serifs, and a lot of typography from old printers coming up, you know, to talk about the story and to narrate and everything in old times. So this is like a time when, you know, People are chauvinistic and crimes need to be solved pretty quick. So yeah, if you have to pin a scapegoat, you got to pin someone really quick. So it's a time when, you know, if you know that a guy is innocent, but you know, he's close to, he has closer ties to the crime, you can have no choice but to, you know, condemn him. Lah. So it's basically that kind of set story set in stone lah, where the world is still a hassle that, that backwards way of thinking. But I will tell you the game itself is made by Obsidian, who have uh, made like a lot of RPGs like Fallout New Vegas and The Outer Worlds and those games are great. So Pentiment is definitely up your alley if you're into unique adventure games with an RPG element to it, to them. Mm, okay, fantastic. Um, we, we also have Evil West. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, yes. Evil West is a new title from Flying Wild Hawk Studio who made a lot of action games like the Shadow Warrior series, the reboot. So it's a third-person action game with cowboy, with lawmen, fighting against vampires and an alternate... I want to say 18th century America. So your character, Jesse, has a mechanical arm for melee attacks and combos and guns for shooting enemies from afar. Your gauntlet can also drag foes to you with the power of electromagnetism and it can also perform a guard that stuns enemies who hit you. You got a shotgun, you got a rifle, you even got like a six-shooter for like quick firing from mid-range and whatnot. So you fight like different kinds of vampires, the undead, marauders, and even cowboy bandits. The game's great for like the 8 and 10 hour run through that you get through because it's very arcadey and action like. It reminds me more of like a 2010 2012 Xbox game. In a good way, in a very good way, where the controls are tight, they're great, the action just comes at you really quick, and it's also very challenging. 
but it's very fair because the controls are really good and you have all these options to deal with the enemies. In fact, I could argue that there are actually too many options. You might forget that, oh, I could actually parry this attack or, oh, I've got this quick kick attack that interrupt enemies. You actually get a lot of skills that you, it's hard to keep track. Lah. And also the last third of the game is a bit repetitive, but beyond that, it's a great action shooter. I mean, there's also another action shooter that came out, Gungrave Gore, but that's terrible, so don't play that. Play Evil West instead. Evil West is worth the money. I believe it's for PC, PlayStation, and Xbox. In fact, it actually did remind me, sorry, it did remind me of God of War in terms of perspective. Except Kratos has, doesn't have six shooter lah. <laughs> okay, alright. I've got a couple more. Alright, so we've got Somerville, which is the indie title we mentioned earlier on. It's a 2D, 3D adventure game where you play a father who is separated from his family in an alien invasion a la War of the Worlds. So you're in your home, you're like in your outskirts farm place. The world blows up because of the alien invasion. You suddenly have this uh, blue light power up that actually liquefies things in front of you. Like it liquefies liquefies uh, different stru- alien structures as long as you have like a light source. And you basically have to go through like a five hour adventure to, you know, crossing the forest or through the what what remains of the city because of the disaster from the alien invasion. So I don't want to spoil so much. The game is a little buggy, but I believe it's a very beautiful looking adventure game. So if you're looking for something that's about four or five hours, this is a good game to play on the PC and on the Xbox. Uh, I'll have to get back to you whether it's on the PlayStation though. But I know it's on PC and Xbox. The art style looks a bit like inside because it was made from some folks from um, Play Dead, right? Yep, that's correct. Although Somerville has more colours than inside. I think there's like, what, brown, red, blue, yellow. I mean, all the different colours of the spectrum, but in a more moody, esoteric kind of form. You know, like how inside is, it's very shady, very mysterious. So is Somerville, except, you know, there are a bit more colours for the developers to play around with. got Pokemon Scarlet and Violet for Nintendo Switch. That's a very fun JRPG where you collect different monsters and be the best. And despite the many bugs and technical graphical glitches the game has, the game has a really good open world approach and non-linear progression that a lot of fans really want. And the new terrestrializing mechanic adds more depth to battles. Although to be fair, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet is proof that Game Freak can, I mean, botch the landing and still sell 10 million copies within the first three days because the brand is so strong. Even if they put out a terrible product, they can still profit from branding and legacy alone, which is, I mean, which is criminal when you think about it. But is the game, is the game worth checking out? I mean, for non-Pokemon fans? Uh, Non-Pokemon fans, if you can get through the jank, yeah, you'll, you'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy it. Especially with the new open world mechanic and how you fight enemies in the game. Mm, okay, alright. And last but not least, we also have Warhammer 40k Dark Tide. Oh, we've got uh, just two more. So yeah, Warhammer 40k Dark Tide is a player versus enemy team-up group game that pits you and your crew against the Dead City minions like in the universe of Warhammer 40k. So you control like an orc, you control like the veteran from the Space Marine side, like the lowest of the low, and many other, oh, a psyker and a bunch of other characters you get to pick. 
So imagine Left 4 Dead, but sci-fi and, you know, Warhammer. So the action and the fighting and the combat is great. It actually focuses more on, like, half melee and half ranged. I played a lot of the previous game, uh, Warhammer Vermintide 2, but not so much Dark Tide. My writer says it's a really great game so far in the open beta, and I believe the full release of the game, once it's sorted its net coding out, it'll be a good game. And another game I want to bring up is Tactics Ogre Reborn, which is a remastering of a 90s Super Nintendo strategy RPG. So Tactics Ogre deals with different political factions fighting each other in a fantasy land. And it's all turn-based combat. And every decision you make at, in your party side, whether it's with your sister or with your best friend who may, who may or may not backstab you and with the kingdom, and whoever you spare in combat will actually affect the ending of the game itself and there's so many pathways and the remastering itself actually gives you the option to revisit your past choices so you can see how the other storyline went through when you pick one side of the story right and the game itself has a more how do you say it has a more streamlined leveling up system compared to the Super Nintendo Classic all I can say is the game is worth buying for the PC and for PlayStation and Nintendo Switch because it is the original game that started Final Fantasy Tactics, which was a beloved game back in the 90s. So Tactics Ogre was actually the first game that started the whole Final Fantasy Tactics um, strategy guideline thing. Mm-hmm. I might have played the, the old version actually. You know, a yeah, bit of it was on the PSP and this version is actually like the remastered version of the PSP and the Super Nintendo version. Except now it's got voiceover, which is totally worth the... F- 50 US or 30 US that, that I would actually pay money for. No, because you, you can imagine like voiceovers, especially good, talented English voiceovers can make the story a lot more impactful. And to be honest, it's a huge crime that this game wasn't nominated as one of the best RPGs in the Game Awards. They should just replace Triangle Strategy with this game. I, I'm just saying. Yeah, so so we have a bunch of games there. Um, Too many games, honestly. <laughs> Are there any other games that we can look forward to in December? Alright, so what, what can we look forward in December and the tail end of November? So we've got Front Mission First Remake from Square Enix. We've got River City Girls 2. We've got Samurai Maiden. We've got Night Witch. We've got Wavetail. We've got Togez. We have High on Life. The next-gen version of The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. And I believe that's it. <laughs> Quite a lot, actually. Oh, and we've got the remastered version of Valkyrie Profile Landeth on the PSP version being ported onto the PlayStation 4 and 5. You're tuned into GG Well Played and it was Jonathan Leo, content director at kakuchopare.com summarizing some of the biggest news and releases in November. Head on over to their website kakuchopare.com to check out more gaming news and reviews. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on pfm.my, our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also find our podcast on Spotify. Do share your thoughts and the games that you play via our email ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at bfmradio. My name is Anif Baharud Thanks for joining us. Game on and please take care. This has been GG World Play. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.